the understanding that you know we still can achieve and create be in the mess and still show up hello ladies you are listening to the queen keys with jess cutting also a very special mention to my best friend dan who also listens to this podcast and to any other guys that are getting in touch with their feminine side and embracing their inner queen Today, I'll be joined by a very special guest, Marla Kennedy. But before I get into the interview, I just wanted to share about an an exclusive online event that I'll be hosting starting the 8th of May in the Queen Keys Facebook group, sharing some of the tips and strategies that I have used to help myself and my clients align and connect more deeply with our passion and our purpose. If this is something you're interested in joining us on, you can either contact me directly or request to join the group. Without further ado, this is my interview with Marla Kennedy. Um, But today I'm joined by a very special guest. Um, Marla, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Marla, um, Marla Kennedy, and I, yeah, I help women find a way so they can love their life, which in a nutshell, is just allowing people to give themselves permission to fully be themselves and accept who they are so they can show up and live to their full potential um, and have a happy life. Yeah, and that's me, really. I um, I can go into a bit more of my story if you want. But... Absolutely. I'm sure we'll get to that. And it's interesting because obviously when you and I connected, um, one of the first things that really struck me was that we're sort of on a similar wavelength, which I think is really beautiful. Mm. And a lot of people would probably say, well, okay, so if somebody's doing something really similar to you, Jess, why would you invite them onto your podcast? Well, because we're both coming from totally different places, I think, from our life mm-hmm. experience and, um, and our unique voice. I've really been loving watching your content uh, on Facebook and actually how you share about your story. Oh, thank you. I feel like that about your stuff too. <laughs> So what got you into the coaching space? Um, yeah, so it's been a really kind of a long journey for me. I um, I guess I was, it was when I was first getting into spirituality. Um, this was in about 2011, I think. Um, and I was really kind of partying a lot and just lost and numbing everything and then I kind of started to find spirituality and um yeah decided I wanted to hire a coach and um I really wanted to hire someone from Jack Canfield's company and then um at the time it was a time where it wasn't really in my budget so my dad bless his heart was was going to support me with it but he didn't want to do that because he didn't he thought it was a bit like out there and stuff. So in the end, his partner has a friend who's an executive coach in the US and she introduced me to a coach in that in the style of coaching that I eventually trained in. And as she was coaching me, I just fell in love with it and decided that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So love yeah, it. it was, it was, yeah, amazing. So excuse my squeaky chair. Um, <laughs> So when you say that you were partying a lot and that at that point in your life, you were kind of numbing everything, can you talk a little bit more to around, I guess, what was going on for you at that time? Yeah. So um, 
I mean, it's, it really stems back to when I was born, really, because I was adopted. So I grew up as a brown girl raised by a white family um, who, like my adoptive parents, I really love them. Um, but I grew up my whole life knowing that or feeling that I didn't fit into the world I was living in. Um, and then I eventually went back to Sri Lanka where I'm, where my heritage is and I did not fit in there either. So I was like really caught between two worlds and I just wanted to fit in so badly. I wanted to be cool and just accepted. And it was such a deep, deep thing. I had these deep feelings of abandonment and not belonging. Um, and I just, I numbed how I just was trying so hard to fit in and so hard to pretend that there wasn't like this issue with my skin color that I just drank a lot and party a lot and didn't respect myself at all. Like, because it didn't, I didn't have to feel it and it gave me a false sense of confidence. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can resonate with that story. Yeah. It, um, it's really, I think the feeling of like not belonging and, and even abandonment and stuff, whether or not you're adopted, like so many people have that abandonment stuff that comes through and that not belonging, um, and it's tough. It really can, you know, that constant fear of rejection comes up and it can cause you to get really clingy and act in ways that um, are just not useful and really can alienate people from you. So really what I was doing while I was trying to fit in and bring this like love to me, I was pushing people away um, and alienating myself even more. So, you know, it was like this cycle that just kept going on and on. Um, yeah, it was really... It was really, I really feel for that girl now looking back um, and yeah, it's, it's really nice to reflect on how far I've come since then. So I suppose speaking to that, that girl, how does she inform the work you do now with your clients? Well, so, oh, it's everything, you know, self-acceptance to me is, is the foundation. It's absolute foundation. I think you have like self-love and you have like your vision, all that stuff. And it all goes up for there. If you don't have self-acceptance, you can't get there. And I think I really believe there's a bridge. So there's like hating yourself, which is where I was at for a really long time. And then there's self-love, but you can't just get jump straight to the other one. You've got to like sneak up, you know, like little step, little step. And so for me, when I was, I don't know how old I was, but about, it was after I'd kind of start being, I'd discovered spirituality. I think um, I started developing vitiligo on my skin, which is where, like what Michael Jackson had, where your skin starts to turn white, you lose the pigmentation. So that was pretty wild because I grew up with this belief that I wanted to be white my entire life. I just, I, I, I like focused on it so deeply that because I wanted to fit in and then it started happening and it was, it was not the dream I wanted to happen when it happened the way it did. Um, so that threw me into head first. I had to face off with that and really look at how I was showing up and, you know, it's a really unpredictable thing. So you don't, like I had just a tiny little patch on my hand for years before it actually started really escalating. And then it just kind of went. Um, 
and I had to, I had to like keep hating myself and go down this really destructive path of, I don't know if I'd be here or face off with it and actually start to accept who I was and look at what I, how I was showing up and behaving in my life. So it was a huge, huge wake up call. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's interesting how, like, I mean, we had a brief conversation about this just before we went live, but it's interesting how your relationship with your physical appearance can really be such a, almost like an external representation of what's going on inside. Mm. Oh yeah. I, you know, I a hundred percent believe that I manifested my, this, what happened to my skin a hundred percent. I know I did because it was so such a deep yearning and I was focusing on it completely. I just wanted it so badly. I used to, I, I never actually bought it, but I used to always want to buy like skin lightening cream and all that stuff because I just wanted to not stand out. And I would, I'd go to the beach and I'd have long sleeves on a hat and cover myself up and just hide from the sun because I didn't want to get darker. It was, yeah, it was, it was really like really affected me. I love how much bravery you have with sharing your story. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think it's important because I feel like there are a lot of people out there that don't accept themselves and you know you might even it doesn't matter who you are like if you're like highly successful or you know you you work for someone else or you're a mom or it it doesn't matter there's no discrimination I think in self-acceptance and self-love it can affect anyone and it's so important it's just the foundation of so much other stuff and living joyfully in my opinion absolutely so excuse me if I've, maybe I've missed um, part of this, but you said when you first started to discover spirituality, it was then your desire to kind of go down the coaching route. Is that right? Mm, yeah. So what was, I guess, your first exposure into, I guess, spirituality? What did that sort of look like, the unfolding of that? Um, it was pretty light. The first thing that I remember was, Actually, I was overseas and I was, I think, drinking a lot. And I think um, my housemates may have seen it as a a problem. And um, anyway, I was looking for searching for something just to feel better. I must have been feeling really depressed. I I can't really remember, but a friend of mine recommended You Can Heal Your Life. And so that was the first book I ever read. And then my stepmom actually introduced me to the law of attraction. I didn't, I just didn't, I always wanted to believe there was other things, but I, I grew up in a house where that was really not like atheist kind of stuff. So um, yeah, when she introduced me to the law of attraction, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, wow, this is everything I've always hoped could be possible in the world kind of thing. And that, so she, um, I'm really grateful that she like opened me up to that whole side of things. Yeah. It's amazing how we have these messengers that kind of come into our life at the right time. Mm, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so many. <laughs> so obviously spirituality was something that was the vehicle for you healing the hurt that was coming up for you at that point in time. Yeah. When did you yeah. decide the next step was coaching? Mm. Yeah, well, it kind of goes in and out because 
I first discovered spirituality like 2011, 2012, I guess. I started my coach training in 2013 and um, I actually was sober for a year back then um, and starting to look at things, but my skin hadn't really progressed that much at that time. And then it was probably after my son was born really that I really, my skin started to expand and get like lose more of its pigmentation and then I that's when I really started to like face off with that side and um in that time I'd been drinking a bit again but I wasn't it wasn't like a problem um because I got sober fully in 2017 I think yeah and um that was a big big thing for me as well a really big act of self-love um but yeah, so I was kind of in and out. Like I started my coaching, my coach training before I'd really fully tuned into the like self-acceptance piece and the spirituality kind of came before. And I, I I think the spirituality was always there, but I was quite in and out of things. And, you know, I kind of got, I don't railroad, but I got thrown off balance when I had my son. And I think that really was when my vitiligo escalated and we were going through some stuff personally and also um we moved into state and we were living where we had no support and I ended up experiencing really severe postnatal depression um so that was a whole nother thing that I was got that I was experiencing and really reconciling and coming to terms with um plus all the skin stuff and then um trying yeah I was just it was just felt like everything at once and that was that would have been about 2016 um, when that really came to a head. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's, I guess part of why I'm so interested in your journey is you're one of the first persons I've spoke, the people I've spoken to that kind of spoke about spirituality, then leading into that coaching journey. Mm. Cause it's very interesting. The last uh, few people I've sort of spoken to, it's been very much about, either things running in parallel or is then coaching and then spirituality. Mm. So it's just, you know, connecting those dots. And obviously that's really become to inf- come to inform what you do now. Definitely. Yeah. I remember watching the secret. Um, Cause that was one of the first things I watched and I feel like that seems to be a common thing. And um, there was, Oh, I can't remember her name, but she on the tip of my tongue but she wrote um happy for no reason she was one of the speakers on the secret and I did one of her like courses and it it's so old it was like these cds in this file that was sent to you and everything (laughs) that's so old school and I remember doing that and that was like um a mix there was spiritual kind of practices but there was a lot of inner reflection and coaching stuff so similar to some of the journaling in um you can heal your life um And so that was, it was like the mix. I was doing both, um, both things then. And one of the first practices I ever remember doing was um, forgiveness and Ho'oponopono. That was, I remember in that program back then. Oh, and that's something that has come through many times for me since then as well. Hugely. Ho'oponopono is one of those ones that when that lands and you discover that it's, it's massive, the Mm. forgiveness piece. Yeah. Um, so all of this, I guess you've been able to kind of map and create patterns of what has worked for your own healing. 
do you feel that this is what's made you good at what you do now or what do you, what, I guess, what is your unique point of difference with your clients? I mean, it, it influences everything. I mean, I really, really know what it is to go from like self-hate and not accepting yourself and not loving your skin to to getting to loving your skin. And it's literal for me. Like I literally had my skin change. So I've I've had I've had such a deep experience of that. You know, my whole life I've had to to deal with diversity stuff and and accepting myself in that way. And then not and like having a disconnection to my parents, knowing that people like I didn't look like my parents. I didn't have any like any family that was actually related to me by blood. Um, I didn't know them. And then when I met them, they were really, they didn't speak my language. So I had no connection there. Um, And then they were really formal with me and really like, it was, it was a really strange experience as well. So I just, it's just in so many different ways I have had to face off with acceptance, like with my, with that and then with my things happening to my skin and then you know like I got sober and so like I've really lived it so I think that's what yeah makes it something that I know and this is something that I speak to and I mean this might have been a collection of moments but I'd absolutely love to hear what how this took place for you but I think so many of us especially when we look to go into the point of helping others it's like we kind of look for permission around us being ready to share what our message is. Um, when did you know that, okay, I've got something that I want to share with others. What was the, um, how did that take place for you? Um, you know, it wasn't as overnight thing. Like I really wanted to start coaching and supporting people and stuff back in like 2013 and I didn't know anyone that coached or did any of that stuff. And so I didn't give myself permission then. It took me a long time to step up into it. I mean, I did a lot of coaching in my training and stuff like that, but before, it went, before I actually stood up, it was a long process. And I think it was really when I was really, I dove into a lot of like self-care and self-love practices with my skin and learning to love myself and that was when I really realized that I really wanted to help people with that stuff and accepting who they were and loving who they were and just giving themselves permission to show up because of their unique story not not being in fear of it um because for so long I just was so ashamed of who I was I I lived with so so much shame um for all the like things that I did through my life that I thought were regrettable and wish I hadn't done which now I mean they're blessings and I see like my vitiligo is an absolute blessing because I wouldn't know self-love the way I do if I didn't have that and the same with my my like being a brown woman like if I wasn't that wasn't brown and hadn't like been raised in that way I wouldn't understand like the depths of diversity issues and how to reconcile them in yourself and how to love yourself and accept yourself because of your, like your um, heritage and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's really been everything for me has just, 
evolved really slowly and there've been steps forward and then there've been steps back and steps sideways and, you know, a little bit of learning and then a big lesson and then some more learning and another lesson. And, you know, it definitely hasn't flowed in a straight line. I love the fact that you spoke to that because I think there tends to be, um, and this is something that I try to really communicate with my clients as well. It's this idea that, you know, for want of a better word, we kind of like to think it's going to be like the movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, when I slay this dragon and then I'm going to be all better. Like for me with my recovery from my eating disorder, it was very much cool when I overcome that it's eating disorder, it's going to be smooth sailing. But like you say, it's that, knowing that okay cool it's it's this learning and then sometimes it does feel like you're going backwards Mm. and you know it's interesting you say that like it's like the movies because I just modeled my life off tv and movies and wanting to be like what I perceived that I saw and took in on tv and stuff that's what I wanted to my life to be like and I actually remember watching things and that you know you'd have shows and like there'd be some massive drama the like heroine or the hero or whatever it is would be in this like you know in on the shower floor crying and then the like guy would come and rescue them and their life would be all peachy after that whatever it is and I used to think that was so real and I would be like well if I create a lot of drama for myself people pay attention to me and love me as well like which is so the opposite of how I am now I like to live a really calm quiet peaceful life but I almost attracted the drama and the like stuff because I thought it would make me liked and I really um think that what I watched and what I was consuming really um influenced me and it's so not real life I hear you in that. And I think that, you know, um, subconsciously creating conflict, craving connection is mm-hmm. is actually more common than people realize. Yeah. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Uh, so I guess on this journey, you know, you, you've overcome so many hurdles. Um, was there a specific point in time and amongst all of that that you actually considered giving up? Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, when I had my son, I definitely did. I set an, actually set an end date. I set a date like for a couple of years later and I was like, if my life doesn't get better by this time, then I have an out and that gave me peace. Um, that date's now passed. I'm still here and I'm like happy and I've done all the work obviously um, to not feel like that. And when I was about... 21 or 22 I tried um and it failed but I also do think it was more a cry for attention than actually trying to do anything um yeah and I've never really shared that before so yeah thank you for going there Hmm. yeah it's um I think that's really common as well and I think um it's why you know this personal development work, whether you're spiritual or not, like you don't have to be spiritual to be into like taking care of yourself and loving who you are, you know. Um, I just happen to be, but, you know, everyone needs to take care of themselves and everyone needs to find a way to not hate themselves and not look in the mirror and hate yourself. And, I mean, that's where I was. And so 
I just think that's a really important message to get out there too, that everyone deserves to accept themselves. And if you can't love yourself yet, that's okay. But you can start with just liking yourself and being okay with yourself and slowly work up, you know? Amen to that. And I think, yeah, it's such a, yeah, you left me a bit speechless with that, but mm-hmm. in a powerful way. I'm just thinking, you know, like you say, spiritual or not, everyone does deserve to have a good relationship with themselves. Mm-hmm. And like we've touched on at the start, it's the foundation for anything that you want to create in your life. It really is. So what does life look like for you now? What's what's next for you? Yeah, life's really good, you know. Um, I have two beautiful kids and beautiful partner and we're on this really amazing journey. So, um, you know, we, we spend a bit of time traveling um, and moving around. So we're kind of settled now and grounded in one place, which is really nice. And I'm really just focusing more on like serving more women and allowing more women to give themselves permission to really step into who they are and, and, you know, like all we have is now. So you don't have to, I know, like I love having a vision. I love focusing on the future and thinking about your potential and all that stuff is really amazing. And I I love it. And I also think, accept where you are right now in the mess, whatever it is. Like right now is a really messy time in the year. And so one thing I've been really tuning into is accepting where I'm at. Like my business isn't, isn't like I don't have a lot of time to work on it. It's not systemized completely. It's, it's messy. I often am doing work when the kids are running around. I, I would love to have like the, the, be able to go into my office and do my work all the time and have like, um, you know, be manifesting in a way that like, I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, set yourself up as if you're already really successful. So like that would look like going into your office to do your work every day um, because that's what a successful person would do. But that's not real realistic for me. I have two kids. I have a six month old and a four year old. So the successful thing for me to do is accept where I'm at, accept the mess, be in the mess and still show up, show up for myself, whether it's in my business or whether it's in my personal life. So for me, in terms of self-love, I commit to doing practices every day, whether it's five minutes, some days it's literally five minutes. Yesterday I boiled the kettle and I like, you know, they could hear the kids and I just stood next to the kettle and breathed in the steam and like felt it like warm up my face and just had like a mindful minute and just really focused on my breath while the kettle was boiling. And it sounds so silly, but that was what I had. And I made it into like a mindful practice for myself to connect. Some days it's so small and it's like that, but I'm still consciously bringing it into my day. Some days I get up at five and I spend my kids happen to sleep in it's pretty rare but when that happens then I might do lots of stuff it just you know um I think showing up for yourself every day even if it's just for 10 seconds taking a few deep breaths but doing it every day committing to yourself I love that because so often we have like we have the, a lot of the opposite is available. That idea of, you know, the, the optimal position to get to in a place where, you know, you're able to live out in 
perfect alignment with whatever it is that you're creating. But mm. also, like, I love the fact that you speak to the idea of being able to be both and being in it and not in it simultaneously. Mm. Yeah. You've got to accept, you've got to accept where you are right now and be grateful for what you have now. And, you know, there are moments where it can feel tough, but if you don't accept where you are right now, how can you move forward? And, and sometimes it's not about an outcome. Sometimes it's just about being and just enjoying the moment, you know, it doesn't always have to be outcome based. Like life doesn't have to be like that all the time. And, and that's a big piece that's been landing for me lately. It's mm. it's very like, because, you know, I can I do have a tendency to get very tunneled visioned and goal orientated. So it's been somewhat refreshing for me lately to be able to actually sit back and, and just be with what is. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, yeah. certainly having a young family like yourself, you're, you're living that a lot. <laughs> Mm, yeah for everyone like for everyone now of all times it's such a great opportunity to 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 be with what wherever you are because you know we're all at home and we're all just at home and there's so much opportunity and possibility here and that doesn't mean that you have to be creating and creating and and pushing yourself to succeed maybe the opportunity for you is to slow down and do nothing because and just face face yourself look in the mirror and like love yourself because you don't do that because you're so busy all the time there's possibility and opportunity for everyone right now it might look different for each person but it's there absolutely love that so obviously you shared a little bit around um, some of the routines that you use to keep yourself connected. Mm -hmm. um, you know, slowing down, doing the breathing, taking that moment for yourself. What other sort of habits or routines or rituals have you created that you can kind of call upon or that you do call upon regularly? Mm. Well, you know, two of the biggest things, especially when I had postnatal depression, the two things that I first did that really, really helped me was um, morning pages. I, I started reading Julia Cameron's book um, where it's just three stream of consciousness pages, first thing in the morning, so journaling basically. Um, and I just started doing that every day and that just started to allow my thoughts to come out onto the page and process them. Um, and a lot of it was just junk, but you know, eventually you can get to some higher downloads and stuff and it's amazing. So I love to journal um, and I love to meditate. And yeah, when I was um, in that postnatal phase, I hadn't meditated for a while. I'd been really out of practice. So I just started with like one minute and then the next day I would add 30 seconds or 20 seconds. And I just, because I'm a real believe, big believer in tiny steps for big like little commitments, tiny steps to get to wait to your goals. I'm not someone that will go from all from nothing to something huge because I fail. Um, and I, I would rather trick my brain by doing tiny little things and then I will succeed. And then I can celebrate that and be like, yes, I did it. It's really awesome. So that's what I would do with my meditation. I just started building up until eventually I was going gone from, it had gone from a minute to like 30 plus minutes, you know, um, and so I still meditate as much as I can. I change it. Um, I change it a lot 
the style. Sometimes I do guided, sometimes I do silent, sometimes I do attention training. Um, sometimes I just center, um, which I was taught by Kerry Azuma, who's one of my my beautiful mentors and I just love her. And um, yeah, so she taught me centering, which is really just just takes a moment to just breathe into the present kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I have so many different things. Sometimes for me, self-care is like reading a book and that, you know, I love to read or playing around with astrology or gene keys or human design or something and like studying in that stuff. It, it really, I am not someone that does the same thing ever. I change things all the time. Um, yeah, and there was a period where I was heaps of Ho'oponopono because I really needed to do that and I did it on other people and did it on myself. It, yeah, it just depends. Absolutely. I think, you know, having a good variety in your toolkit helps because you're able to sort of pull out and um, use things at your disposal when appropriate. Uh, mm. So that's that's interesting. I'm just going to circle back to a point when you were saying about the idea of small incremental change because you find that if you try to take big leaps that you've you've fallen short in the past Hmm. do you have a favorite failure like something that you perceived was bad in the upfront that has actually turned out probably to be a good thing in the long run um yeah you know i mean it's kind of a little different but something that so 2000 a couple of years ago my partner and I sold our house we sold everything and decided to go traveling overseas for four months and we were going to travel blog travel blog and travel blog and do all that thing I was like no I'm not I'm not really going to coach maybe I don't know I was you know like transition phase phase and so we went and we were overseas and we vlogged and we had like went to all these countries with our son um and you know we thought like our subscribers to our channel would go really fast and um, it was so slow. Like it was slower than my normal account when I was not doing anything at home. It was ridiculous. So we were putting effort into everything we did. And we, so I guess we came back and ended up settling back here and we didn't end up doing that. But I really, in that um, process, discovered how much I wanted to coach actually and not probably travel blog and travel blog. But um, so that was a, a failure, but it was an amazing experience. I learned so much from that. Um, and to be honest, it's kind of a hard question for me because I don't really believe in failure. I think everything is a success. Um, I think um, my partner and I always talk about this. If you just see everything as a success, say say you're a stay-at-home mum like me or or something and, you know, you cook dinner. That is a success. You managed to like put away like a few items of clothes. That is a success. Like just look at everything as a success or maybe you like did something that you would perceive as a failure. See the success in what you learned and how you grew. And so I kind of tend to look at my life in that way now, instead of looking at things as failure, I just see them as successes. And I don't really believe in mistakes because I always learn something even if it's a hard lesson and I've had many of them, but I appreciate the growth they've given me. I think it was the, the great Tony Robbins that said that there's no failure, only feedback. Mm, yeah. I really love that. So getting to a place of loving your mistakes, 
what was has that was that a lot around your forgiveness piece what was your what was your journey to to loving the mistakes because people can um, be bloody hard on themselves <laughs> oh my gosh and i still am like i'm i'm i've still got so far to go you know um i guess i always will but yeah i think i wouldn't be coaching and i wouldn't be you know, I wouldn't be a really spiritual person and I wouldn't love personal growth and connecting with people like you and doing all this stuff. If I hadn't gone through that like partying phase and doing all those silly things that I used to do, you know, I wouldn't be here now. I don't know what I'd be doing, but it would probably be, I I would think that I would probably be working in a corporate job that was like a long hours and boring and I didn't really like it and still probably living from a place of shoulds because I've been like a massive people pleaser for most of my life. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for those mistakes because they've brought me to here and yeah, it's an interesting, it's just such an interesting idea because, you know, maybe if you'd done things differently, your life would be like better, but like, I love my life. I love my family. I, you know, I'm so grateful for them. They're just amazing, you know? So, um, and my, yeah, my life is amazing. And I've really, I really understand how to accept myself. And I've really supported other people to do that too, or just reflect on things and bring things to light that they didn't realize were there. And that's, it just moves me, you know? So it's like the old sliding doors kind of scenario of, you know, how would my life be different? <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I've got some really um, specific examples of that that have like sliding doors, that movie. I have like a, mo- a moment in my life where it is so sliding doors and I just could have a completely different life if I hadn't done this thing. So I really understand that. That's a juicy dangler. Are you going to go there, Marla, or not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I can. Um, so I don't really talk about this a lot either, and it's. Um, I guess there's some shame around it too. I, I've ne- never talked about it really publicly, but I was previously engaged back way back, 2014 or something, and I won a competition to go overseas and meet these actors and have dinner with them. Um, and my fiance at the time didn't want to come. I ended up cheating on him on that trip. And it, it, was a, it really was a really interesting thing because I definitely apologised, feel terrible to him and how I treated him. And um, he's, a, he's a really good guy, really, really good person. And, yeah, I did the wrong thing. But I own that and I learned so much from that experience and I ended up leaving the relationship and meeting my beautiful partner. And if I hadn't gone on that trip and if I hadn't, and it's so funny, I, the only reason I went on that trip is because I used to watch this show and I entered this competition, I won. So I still remember the first time I watched that show. If I'd never watched that show, I wouldn't have kids to the partner I have now. So like it, that trips me out on its own. But, um, you know, like I could be married to someone else that, we were comfortable with each other. We were really settling for each other because we were both um, nice people um, and we 
both wanted to be in a relationship, but we weren't soulmates. We definitely weren't. And, um, yeah, it was, that was a really pivotal life-changing moment for me. And like, I learned a lot and, you know, I could say, yeah, I wish I'd never cheated on him and stuff because I hurt him. Um, but I don't know if I do because he's now, I know he's got a family and he's really happy, I'm sure. And I've got a beautiful family. So, you know, I probably like saved him from a really average existence with me, to me if I'm honest. Saved each other, you saved yourself and him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we had fun like together, but it was, it was not, we weren't soulmates. No, that's awesome. I really love that because I think, you know, sometimes certainly when we're confronted with parts of ourselves that aren't necessarily the parts that we really like to show the world mm. and yet there's innate gifts in them. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, like it's super uncomfortable talking about that. Like I feel uncomfortable now um, and I'm not proud of it. God, I like, God, I do not advocate cheating or anything or doing that to learn a lesson by any means. But, um, yeah, you know, there's lessons in everything. And I, I still stand by that it wasn't a mistake because um, there was a gift in it. I have, yeah, you saw my kids. They're so cute. <laughs> and they I are adorable. Them. I can attest that. <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't have like the best relationship ever, like with my best friends, if it wasn't for that sliding doors moment. Like if I'd never gone to New York. Yeah. Tell of a story though. Like, I think you probably should talk about it a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's, it is a, it's a story. That's for sure. Destiny. Yeah. So I, touching on that human point, like I think, you know, that was kind of where I was going around those parts of ourselves that aren't necessarily the parts that we really love highlighting. I think, you know, that's so much of our humanness. Mm. You know, um, we are human. We make mistakes. We do things. We fall down. We get back up. Um, and that for me has been a big unlearning around the pressure that I put on myself to perform. And I take that tangent because I do want to ask you, what do you think has been the biggest unlearning that you've, you've made to get to the point you're at? Mm. I think just learning that I am enough and that like I thought I had to be someone else for so long in such a deep way. And so I kept trying to be someone else, like in every area of my life. Um, and I know that it probably sounds really simple, and but I really do think that it was, it was just learning that I was enough and that I was okay and that I don't, I don't have to, like I don't have to be, white or want to be white or try to be white I don't have to um you know like I think I think now about how I used to go out and party and try and fit in and be cool and be confident and stuff and I hate that stuff now like I'm so not interested in that and I think I was so afraid of just allowing myself to be myself and allowing myself to be a little weird um and so I had to, I really had to like 
unlearn that in terms of just relearning that I'm perfect just as I am and I don't have to try and be anyone or fit into any mold or um, act a certain way, um, you know, like worry about a reputation or worry about what my parents think I should do, any of that stuff and just come back to me, like come back to my intuition and my trusting myself and like what do I want though? Like do I really want this, you know? Um, Yeah, big lesson. And, you know, as you touched on, it's simple, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I remember asking um, someone a while ago, like they were talking about all these things they should do. And I said to them, oh, well, what do you want? And they said, oh, I don't know. I've never thought about that before. And I was just like, and I think it's so common though. Mm. It's so common. Absolutely. I think, you know, sometimes the simple things are the big things. Mm. Yeah. So when I started this podcast and like for the people that have actually listened to all the episodes have heard me explain this several times, but for the new listeners, um, I started this podcast because I'm really passionate about helping women live on purpose. So, Mm -hmm. you know, connecting with what it is that they want and living out who they are and their passion and purpose in the world. And a statement that I arrived upon just shortly before starting this was the idea to live on purpose. So I ask all of my guests what it means to them to live on purpose. To me, it means to really trust myself um, and own who I am. And so, you know, I've listened to the outside noise for s- and other people's opinions And it's about letting that go and coming back to what you really want Um, and just, yeah, tuning into that. If you have to close your eyes and journal on it or whatever or meditate, you know, but it's coming back to what you want. I think what do you want is actually a really powerful question and really knowing knowing that and knowing that you're doing things. So you're not doing something from a fear of missing out. You're not doing something because you think it's what everyone else is doing. Um, like living on purpose to me, it doesn't have to be rushed. It will just unfold naturally. Like the things you really want will come into your life at the right time. Like you don't have to suddenly hurry into them. You can, you can take your time and just allow it to unfold and just trust yourself and edge into it little by little, you know, Um, that's what it is to me. I really love that. And when you were saying about rushing into it, like there's a saying that my coach says that I love is around the idea of that the destination is the same for all of us. So it's no real great hurry to be there. Yeah, I love that. Definitely. <laughs> I find, you know, it's funny. I find if I feel like there's something that's really urgent, I have to do it now. And I'm like really worried and anxious that um, if I don't do it now, it's going to be like the world's going to end. Then I know that's not meant for me. Because the things that are my purpose and the things that I really need to do or I really want to do, I'm not in a rush to do. And they just flow and unfold beautifully in their own um, time, in their own way. That's a real big, um, like, sign post for me. Rush. 
that's really powerful. I hadn't come across that before. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really um, telling for me because I've really noticed it. Um, yeah. And any, and the thing is like when I felt an urgency to do things and then I've done them, they haven't panned out. So I, I really know that's my intuition, like rushing into things um, and feeling like I have to do something now where the, no, it doesn't matter what it is, but um, yeah, that's a real tell for me. And I'm sure um, I have a feeling lots of people would, would um, maybe not like necessarily declare that because I mean, that can be, it's not just with things in my own life, it's with programs and stuff too. Like, um, so, you know, if there's urgency there, there for me, I know that it's not for me because if I can wait to do it, then it's probably the thing I should do. And I think, you know, and that why that really landed for me when you shared it is I think, you know, that's that ego, that idea of missing out or almost go, diving in head first before you have a chance to listen to what your heart's really saying. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and you know, there are some things that I really want to do that I, I haven't yet done. Um, and I might not get to them for like three years, but I know that they're meant for me and I know they're going to happen and I'm happy to wait because I know that it's a part of my purpose and perhaps it will evolve and change and it will look a little different to what I thought. Cause that often happens, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not anxious about it. I'm really calm about it and excited for when the time is right, whether it's a year from now or five years, it doesn't matter to me because it's not going anywhere in my opinion. It's interesting that this conversation has really activated a part of me that um, I guess I is still really present and it's that um, desire to push for things and mm. so coming from that space, because I'm sure there's other people that have had this crop up because it cropped up for me. How do you get things done if you don't feel urgency? What's your process? Um, I, I, I still set myself like deadline. Um, well, I don't really. I, I'm, I, well, I don't have, this is a hard question for me. I get a lot, I, I get a lot done. I still will set, um, I still have a vision. I still have things I want to achieve and stuff. It's just, you know, there's certain trainings I want to do and I really want to do them, but I don't need to right now. And so I prioritize, I'm a big, um, like at my podcast, when I launched that, I was like, yeah, I really want to um, launch. And I was really excited about it. And that kind of, it wasn't urgent, but I did it like straight away, really. But there was no urgency. It just felt good and I, I, I knew I could do it and I had the time. So I guess there's like a little bit of a um, discerning there between those things. And I still do things and I still um, show up. But, I mean, in terms of what I do every day, like I really have had to let a lot of stuff go because I'm really – I've got my kids all the time, right? And, I mean, I have them all, most of the time anyway, except my son started school now, but um, they're both home all the time. So I have such limited time to what I can actually do that I really have to prioritize. And the stuff that doesn't matter is really just falling away on its own. And so, I mean, that helps too, but yeah, I definitely get stuff done. I, um, I just, ha I just, I scan it, I guess, and look at what is most important. And I, I think that's different to like urgency because 
um, yeah, it's that's. I don't think that's like the ego stuff that we were just talking about. I think it, I think there's a little difference. You can still have like urgency in of doing things in your business where you're going to get things done because they're going to move the needle in your business or in your life or whatever, without doing something from a place of like, oh my god, I'm going to miss out on this. I have to do it now. Like I think they're different. You and that, and I think that the issue is that most of us tend to collapse them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to touch on it because we so often come from this place of scarcity and fear from the urgency of it, that understanding that, you know, we still can achieve and create and as one of my mentor puts it, make sweet love to what we're doing rather than (laughs) fucking it and moving on. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. When she first said it to me, I was hysterical. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I sent you through a few pep prep questions and this is one of the questions that does get me excited. Do you have a vision for what you see in the world or want to see in the world? Um, yeah, more diversity. <laughs> um, I really think we, the world still has such a long way to go um, in terms of diversity and accepting everyone and I read this book recently called White Fragility and it was a really eye-opening book for me I don't know if you've read it but it was um it was so eye-opening because I realized how racist I am without even realizing it and I'm someone that is like um feels like a target of it and then I am pretty sure there are ways that I show up that are like racist are not as diverse as they could be so I still am constantly working on that and it's there's it's it's such a subtle like undercurrent in the thing like I have just felt I've experienced it so deeply in Australia um personally and it's never ever been anything I've, I've I've said this so often but it's not what people say it's not what people do um I've had that too um I've had I've had people say things. I've had a harpoon gun aimed at me before. Like I've had stuff like that. Yeah, it was, um, I've had stuff like that happen, but it's not that stuff that I'm talking about. The stuff that I think needs to shift is the stuff that people don't even rare of the like little asides or the subconscious things that happen. And like, for me, um, when, like, when I went to New York and, um, was in New York and stuff and I love America, I used to live over there as well. Um, it was different. And I know there's a lot of like issues, diversity issues over there too, of course, but um, cities like New York are so multicultural. And so to me, from my experience, it's only my experience of, I'm not obviously not talking about everyone. So I don't want to generalize, but my experience was that, and it wasn't anything anyone said. I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life. I was like, wow, I can't explain it. I cannot I do not have the language to put into words how I was treated, but it was different. It was so different. And we have so far to go with diversity and acceptance in the world. And so I would, my vision is for a, a more diverse world where everyone is just accepted and loved for who they are and seen and not identified by their race. So like, you know, um, identify, you know, I, I, I find that even calling people human, just like we're all humans, 
can be problematic because it's not because we're unique by like our heritage and our race and our culture and stuff and we we should celebrate that and honor that but then on the other side of it like when we describe people like um even describing people you you'll talk about someone and you might say oh that indian woman and to me that is problematic you you wouldn't say like that white woman you just say that woman so like labeling someone in that way like in conversation can be really like I think that creates more of a gap so um these little things that are so subtle that I didn't even realize that I would do so I'm very conscious um of it too and yeah so in a long-winded way my my vision is yeah a much more um tell like together world I hear that and this is definitely coming from a place of personal interest, um, full disclosure. I guess, what is one thing that people could take away to implement straight away to help support a world that is more accepting from your, from your experience? You know, I think even what I was just saying, like not labelling, when you, like even just um, not labelling, and I, I've, I've done it too, like in conversation when you talk about people, don't um, necessarily point out their like their race or something when it's not a part of the conversation. It doesn't need to be included in it. Like um, we'll talk about something, someone, and then go, "Oh, well, you know, they're like brown or they're," but it has nothing to do with the conversation. Like there's context, of course, where you bring up people's heritage and it's really interesting and stuff. Um, but I sometimes think, I mean. Yeah, I, I really loved the book, that book, White Fragility. That was really helpful for me. Um, and there's been other ones. But also, like, for me, who was someone who was adopted, I would have people who would say, um, where are you from? And I'd say, Australia. And they're like, no, where are you really from? I'm like, what? Like, that to me. And it's such an innocent question that people wouldn't, like, wouldn't notice. They wouldn't consider. But language is everything. And to me, I am really from Australia. I don't know anything different. I've been raised here. Um, So to me, like a more effective question, a less um, uh, segregating question, I can't think of the word that I want to use, but um, less alienating kind of question would be what is your heritage? Because it's it's more inclusive to me. Um, so I think really watching our language and watching how we're speaking about other people. Um, and yeah, I do believe we are all one, but I also think we're all really different. Like we get to celebrate our uniqueness. And so, so to sometimes label everyone as just being human, like we're all humans, like sometimes even though the intention behind that can be really like loved from a really good place, I actually think sometimes from my experience, it can be problematic because yes, we're all humans, but we're all unique. We all like our heritage, our culture, even our demographics, whether you're white or whether you're brown or whether you're black or whatever it is. um, We all have our own like context, historical, societal, all that context that's so important and we need to treasure that and really like let it shine um, and let it come through so that it, we, it carries on and it makes this world beautiful and diverse. Um, 
but then we also, yeah, there's two sides and it's, it almost seems contradictory, those two things, but I, I think they're both really important. I hear you in that. And I think that that, you know, pe- people by nature are so bipolar. We always label things as all one or all the other, but really in reality, we're all of it. Mm. And I think, you know, like you said, being able to create a marriage where, yes, where you're collectively all different. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like how you, how you phrased that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so on that note, how can people get in touch with you? Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm on Instagram a lot at Marla Loves. Um, and also I think my page is that as well. Um, and then I have my website is MarlaKennedy.com and that's M-A-L-A. Um, and I have a podcast called Elevate Your Life and Soul, which I am on all the time. I really love hanging out there. Um, yeah, and then I have a Facebook group too, but um, probably Instagram or my website's the best. Thank you so much for sharing your magic and your wisdom with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been um, it's been a joy, and you've really you really cracked me open today too. I went to some places I didn't plan on going. <laughs> <laughs> So it was a great conversation. I, yeah, thank you so much. I'm really um, grateful to have been here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for episode four of The Queen Keys with the beautiful Marla Kennedy. We'll be back next week with an interview with Jackie Mink, a.k.a. The Fitness Fairy. If you do want to join us live, I'll be interviewing Bertan Tuesday morning on The Queen Keys Facebook group. To get in touch with me, it's Jess Cutting on Facebook or Jess Cutting underscore by Instagram. And I'll chat to you guys soon.